with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, the World Bank projects 5.1% growth for the Chinese economy this year, and the U.S. auto workers' strike has cost the U.S. economy nearly four billion U.S. dollars. And now let's begin with our top story. The World Bank has projected 5.1% growth for the Chinese economy in 2023. Chief economist Adesia Matu said China's economy has remarkable strength. He said China's economy has shown great steps in manufacturing, not only in basic manufacturing but also in innovative manufacturing. The World Bank has also updated its economic outlook for the East Asia and Pacific region for this and the following year. Growth in this developing region is. Projected to remain strong at 5% in 2023, but will ease in the second half of this year, and is forecast to be 4.5% during 2024. So, for more on this, joined us on the line now are Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, first of all, Ina, so what's your main takeaway from the World Bank? Latest economic outlook for this region. Well, I mean, it's it's not surprising. There are global headwinds out there.、Uh, obviously, there's a lot of attention on China、uh, because it's been, you know, a, a leader in world gro-、uh, growth.、Uh, the World Bank has to take it very seriously. But you know, what you ha- don't see is this、uh, reiteration of just a few weeks ago. We've had this up and down where. You know, first China is a、uh, you know an economic powerhouse that's about to take over the world, and then、um, <laughs> Joe Biden says it's an economic time bomb, a ticking time bomb.、Uh, that has gone away. All of a sudden,、uh, you're seeing a resurgence of well, China's you know a very serious economy. They have some strengths.、Uh, we have to look at it. So. You know, people have to be very, very careful about the these waves of media attention、uh, that you know take one single data point and then extrapolate that.、Mm. Uh, China is dealing with its issues as it has in the past. It has a pretty、uh, the best record so far in the last forty five years of、uh, taking care of things, and that's what people should be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And so, Dr. Joe, the World Bank has projected 5.1 percent growth for China's economy this year. So, what do you think about that? And、uh, what do you think are the driving forces for China's economy? If we are looking at the number, I think it's、uh, similar as our government has pro,、uh, predicted at the beginning of this year about five percent for the growth, but we still not、uh, get to the end. So we still have some space to, to try to discover what we can do to try to strengthen the the number. As I have mentioned, maybe、uh, several. Uh, several months ago, that、uh, the number is not a question. It's a, I think five percent is not a very big number. But I, I mean that what we want to do is trying to improve the quality of the development. So as we are trying to look at the strength of the、uh, recovery or the development, I would say that consumption is、uh, really a big problem, and、uh, it is、uh, growing、uh, more steadily.、Uh, 
in the past several months, and we still see many new phenomena that the consumers are having more confidence on the on the consumption, and that is definitely a good thing for the development of the economy.、Mm-hmm. And we have seen the National Day holiday tourism and consumption. This is a boom, and also China、uh, China's official PMI numbers for manufacturing returned to the expansion territory in September. So, what insights can we draw from those numbers? Well, I would take those numbers, and I'd also start looking at the import of、um, iron ore,、uh, copper, etc., which have been up dr-、uh, dramatically, six, seven percent,、uh, depending on which ones you're you're looking at. That tells you that、uh, these companies would not be importing if they didn't have some use for it, and they didn't sense a demand. So I, I do think,、um, you know, through projects, etc. Uh, the government is trying to instill confidence and kind of unlock that、uh, those trillions of dollars in savings、uh, that people have been using. And you know, it's not just、um, you can see it in many ways. I mean, there's a huge boom in、uh, domestic、uh, tourism, as you were mentioning.、Mm. And the chief economist for the World Bank said China's economy has remarkable strength in basic and innovative、uh, manufacturing. So, Dr. Zhou, how do you see China's innovation capability? Yeah, innovation is one of our priorities for the new development concept. As for the innovative ways, I think that Chinese people are really、uh, good at doing that in the different ways compared with some of the Western countries. As China is a country with so many people, so there are more diversity in different、uh, regions of China, and、uh, the companies are trying to address the different demands of the people. So they are not only trying to use maybe in all, all the areas with the latest and Highest technology to innovate, but trying to make it more affordable or affordable to the people. So I think that's a kind of a very, uh, very uh, popular and、uh, some of the society needed innovation. Well, in another way, I, I think that many of the companies are trying to, trying to be the the champion in the competition in the world. By the leading technology, by the cooperation with、uh, their partners in other countries, so they are trying to do. More on the different ways to improve the technology, and、uh, that is something that needed for the technology. Well, as we know, that China has、uh, many applications of the wide,、uh, wide use. Use of things like for the、uh, for some kind of the payment, and、uh, that is、uh, definitely one very important platforms to connect the different parts of the economy into a better and a bigger one. So I think that is a kind of things that we are doing. And、uh, in another way, I would say that China also trying to cooperate with other companies in the world in foreign. For the market and the innovation is、uh, one of the main reasons that、uh, import and export are、uh, getting bigger and、uh, growing、uh, much more sustainable. Sustainably, so I would say that、uh, the innovative ways of growth is really important for us.、Mm. So, Anna, so what do you think about China's innovative capability? I think it's been demonstrated. I mean, you see what、uh, China has done in 5G,、uh, but in EV and、uh, solar, new energy,、uh, going across the board. The number of patents、uh, China has、uh, reached the top. The number of、uh, basic science. 
um, uh, citations to uh, Chinese authors is now uh, first in the world. Uh, China has climbed the innovation ladder, and it now is, you know, literally surpassed the U.S. in many respects. Not all. The U.S. is extremely strong in a lot of areas, but this this is what is causing a lot of the frictions in terms of basic uh, manufacturing. China still leads the world. I mean, you you have a situation here where you know people fail to understand the U.S. imports one trillion dollars of goods more than it exports, and that's going to continue, and probably it will. Will grow because you know you have these uh, factors, concerns about inflation, concerns about basic living wages. As you know, things go down, people go for cheaper, and that does not mean made in the United States. Also, these efforts to subsidize industries, which long term will not be competitive. I mean, you, we already see that. Um, in the chip making area, they're estimating a, a U.S. the same chip made in the U.S. that's made in Taiwan will cost 30% more. Well, that's either going to be, uh, you know, the taxpayers are going to pick up all of that uh, slack, and that leads to what more inflation. So uh, right now, it's you know, it it always seems like the press is trying to turn the tables. What you have to do is see realistically where the world is and where the manufacturing is, and basic manufacturing now has become a regional issue. Mm. You know, if you start thinking about it and look what the World Bank report said, it's not only that China uh, really said, well, 5.1%, but then you start looking at all the ASEAN countries around it, and they're still, the, uh, you know, they're going to be the source of strength, economic strength, going through for next few years. Very, very important to understand the relationship, because when you get a garment that's made in Indonesia, guess what? All the zippers, cloth, buttons, etc., thread um, are made in China. Mm -hmm. And also, Dr. Zhou, uh, Ina mentioned the EV industry. So what do you think is behind China's development in the EV industry? And what is China's role as a manufacturer of EV and also the batteries? In my understanding that uh, China is uh, one of the countries that learned a lot from the Western countries about the, the auto uh, sectors, how can we make a car. And in the recent years, I think that has um, has uh, uh, changed or uh, upgraded to a new level. The EVs are quite different from the traditional ones. So they are not only because of the, the source of the energy are different. I think the main uh, concepts are changed because in the traditional car making that we are trying to integrate so many different uh, companies together in the supply chain, maybe more than thousands, the, the, the companies are uh, integrated. But in, for the EVs manufacturing, there are much less companies are involved in the in the assembling, in the applying, supplying the, the auto parts. Well, on the other hand, they are trying to do more on the data related issues about the services. So it's an integration of the, the manufacturing and the services together, while the EVs is also one of the main uh, access for the innovation. So China is really good at that because we are developed a very, uh, I mean, uh, advanced market for the EVs. So it is one of the very good platform for the EV companies to do things. So if you are looking at the, the companies, the competition, and the Chinese uh, the EV makers are making much more progress. So in this regard, I would say that uh, maybe Chinese companies are trying to lead this trend. 
Mm. And I know also the digital economy is crucial for China's economy, making up more than 40% of the country's total GDP. And China has been exploring the digitalization on many fronts, from the smart manufacturing to smart cities and smart agriculture. So how important is the digital economy for us? Well, it's absolutely essential as you go forward. And um, I just want to add something to what, what the professor said. I mean, I, I've recently been, uh, you know, selecting um, <clears throat> luxury cars when I go on <laughs> on uh, Didi, which is the car uh, rental service here in, in China. And, you know, I, I stepped into this Alto, uh, Alto 3, uh, which is the high-end BYD. And I can tell you right now that it's equivalent to the S-Class um, cars that uh, we, I've had in the past. I mean, the comfort, the fit and finish. And the reason I'm t telling this story is that um, I bumped into somebody from a major German car company and they were complaining. They said, look, you know, China can export a car to Germany and they can sell it for 50,000 euros. Okay. We, uh, the same car, the electric vehicle, we have to sell at 150,000 for the same finish. He says, we cannot figure this out. All right, we don't know where to go on this. And this is a huge admittal. And it also shows that China is, in fact, as Professor Joe said, leading the pack, no longer chasing it. Uh, in terms of the uh, digital economy, you know, it's it's amazing. Between 2016 and 2021, uh, uh, the digital economy in China doubled. It's uh, number two in the world behind the U.S., uh, it's now uh, you know almost 40% of GDP at the end of this five-year period. And you know it's it's a the digital infrastructure as a whole. It's not just one piece. Advanced infrastructure facilities such as 5G, the data centers, uh, key projects. These are what, things that are driving the growth. And you know you can see it in terms of the mobile communications, patents, um, electric vehicles, digital payments, robotics, mm -hmm. and digital 4.0, which is driving the cost of production down and also logistics, uh, getting it uh, further and further down, which deals with a lot of kind of uh, demographic issues that China is looking at. Mm -hmm. And so, Dr. Zhou, what's your view on the digital economy's role as a driver in China's further growth? If we are looking at the data, about 40 percent, I don't think that 40 percent is something new, just emerged from uh, from nothing. But actually, there are some kind of things that uh, digitalized by the you know the ways of the technology and the innovation of the companies who are able to do that so the digitalization is a really important thing because everyone of us are trying to trying to give uh, our efficiency better and trying to have a more you know choices of the different conceptions so I, mm -hmm. I believe that digital economy is one of the ways that we can deal with uh, such a, a wide range of uh, you know the choices and we can to make it more efficient, the digitalization is also the, the world that is going to. So I, I think that for the digitalization, there are so many things that we can do, not only from the suppliers, but also from the consumers, because our voices can be heard by the suppliers and they can change their patterns of providing those services. So Dr. Zhou, China and ASEAN are each other's largest trading partners. So what do you think in terms of the future potential of growth when it comes to the economies of ASEAN and China? And how robust is this relationship right now? I, I, I think that the relationship between China and ASEAN countries are getting stronger and getting better. 
I mean, not only uh, in the in the term of uh, the trade and investment, and also the exchange of the you know the people uh, going to another site, but also because that both sides are trying to address their own challenges by the cooperation. So I think that is a kind of things that uh, we are going to improve the better understanding standing of each other and in some time we are trying to provide better services or choices to the other side actually for the belt and road initiative is kind of uh, this uh, the, the innovation uh, we, we are trying to address these challenges so the ASEAN countries are changing China are also changing I think the relationship between us are getting stronger and more resilient in the changing world in the uncertainty of the world and after that uh, impact I think that both sides are going to have a more closer, more higher quality cooperation in different ways. Mm. Well, while speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the United Auto Workers' strike against America's big three automakers. What's its political and economic implications? Stay with us. D-Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Wang, Chief Economist of Hang Seng Bank, China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome. I'm Ilaf Elard. Economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. The United Auto Workers strike against America's big three automakers is still underway. According to the Anderson Economic Group report, the auto workers strike has cost the U.S. economy nearly four billion U.S. dollars. So, Aina, first of all, I'm curious about how you see this strike. Is it different from the previous ones and why did it happen and how has it made to today? Well, I mean, it's it's not different from previous ones. I mean, this is a, a situation where um, many of these car uh, workers felt that they gave back a lot uh, during the 2008-2009 crisis. And then, you know, these uh, big company, big car companies started making money and they started rewarding uh, their C-level suites, uh, 40% uh, compensation increases. And they said, oh, wait a second. We gave back. We were told that, you know, in the future it would be given back to us. It hasn't happened. And therefore, um, in September, when the when the uh, contract expired, they said, we're going on strike. We want 40 percent. Now, are they going to get 40 percent? I don't think so. But there are huge ramifications mm-hmm. that are uh, involved here. 
40% increase is going to, um, it's not just going to take away from profits. This is a horrible year for uh, the auto manufacturing uh, industry as a whole. That means that there's going to be more layoffs. So it's kind of hard to figure out exactly where they're going. They know that uh, increasing uh, total wages is going to be inflationary on one sense, so it's going to impact the rest of the economy. It is certainly impacting Mexico and Canada, something people aren't talking about. They're all integrated in. Uh, when the car industry slows down in the U.S., it also slows down in these uh, other countries. And it certainly uh, is not going to help the workers in the long run because the auto companies are not competitive. Fully one half of the cars that are exported are exported to Canada and Mexico. That means that they're already part of the same ecosystem. Only half of those are going abroad. And it's likely that the these U.S. brands are going to continue to fall because they just they, they can't produce at an economic level. You know, they, they're not even close to where mm. China is in terms of technology and uh, in, in terms of price. Mm. And it is relating to electrification. This is new to the industry. When we talk about electrification, Aina, it's obviously talking about the EV, the vehicles, which are really going to be the future, not only in the U.S., but also elsewhere. So how is that affecting the union workers? Well, the union workers see it as a threat. They, you know, this kind of thing, well, oh, new technology, uh, how, how can we, uh, that's unfair. You shouldn't do that. Why should the U.S. government subsidize uh, clean energy when it's going to take away uh, my job? What they don't see is that unless they start to compete, all right, in the, the fastest growing segment of the market and one which is aimed to dominate not only uh, the, the U.S. and Europe, but the world, uh, they will be out of jobs long term. And mm. and this is kind of um, overall the biggest problem that is facing the United States. Uh, democracies like the United States do very well when people are the majority of voters are willing to put aside their needs for today to invest in a better tomorrow. And what you see here with the unions is they're saying we're going to take everything we can get now because we don't know what the future is and we don't care anymore. Uh, we're just going to, you know, as they said, we're going to get our own now and the heck with everything else. Mm, so that Dr. Joe, what do you make of the development of the EV industry in the U.S.? Yeah, I think that for Biden administration, he is trying to improve the you know the electrification of the cars using. So they are trying to building better infrastructure and give some subsidies for the companies who are able to build the factories there. But uh, that is uh, definitely one uh, not so good news for the traditional car makers of the United States, like the UAW strike. I think that is kind of the first one in the in the past that um, maybe ever for the three main producer of the U.S. companies to do that together. And that is also something that reflected by the change of the pattern of the market. More EV companies are doing more to gain the share of the market. So it's a really big problem for the change. And how can they deal with this situation? I don't think that the workers are only the, you know, the, the laborers to produce the cars. They are also the consumers. So they have 
have to buy the cars. So in this regard, I would say that that is some question that we are not only looking at the, the strike itself, but it's a, a reflection about the change. How can we deal with the change? How can we deal with uh, the producers, cons consumers, and also important exports? It's a really complicated question. Mm -hmm. So I know when you talk about the big three in the United States, you have to think about the potential economic impact because they have been such a key linchpin, right? So what will be the severe consequences on the U.S. economy? Okay, so uh, short term, you you know you covered it early. Uh, already, four billion dollars has been lost, and you start mm -hmm. adding in the economic multiplier, and then you start considering what's happening in Mexico and and Canada, and you you see an industry which is you know looks like it's on its last legs unless it changes. So. You know, over the medium and long term, uh, U.S. auto companies are going to be less competitive. And, th and that's just uh, the reality of things. This is one of the things that I don't think the uh, Fed gets when it keeps raising rates. It is not going to change uh, the fact that the auto workers are going to get somewhere between 20 and 30 percent more money um, in their pay packet. Uh, that is going to be inflationary. That is going to increase the um, the cost of cars, especially at a very, very difficult time in the auto industry uh, sales cycle. Um, you know, literally, you, you see the U.S. voting uh, and pushing for its own demise. And this this is really troublesome. I mean, this is not something where people should be celebrating. The U.S. is about uh, just under 20 percent of the total consumption of the world, although they're only about four and a half percent of the population. Any kind of uh, decline in that is going to have a, a massive uh, impact uh, globally. You know, as I said, you know, one trillion dollars is the amount of additional imports above exports that the U.S. has each year. If that goes down, it affects everybody from commodities uh, to uh, China in terms of, of uh, producing, um, you know, value-added goods which are sold to the U.S. So it's, you know, th this is a thing where you hope that the U.S. administration will come to its senses and says, look, you know, we, we have to become more competitive instead of trying to trip up what we perceive are our, our opponents. Mm. And Aina, so how far apart do you think the workers and management are at this point? And what's his political implications? Well, I mean, in terms of how far apart, as I said here, there's it's somewhere between 20 and 40 uh, percent. My guess is it's going to wind up somewhere around 30 percent. Um, but politically, this is a huge watershed. Um, you know, if you go back to the last election, uh, Trump got two out of every five union worker households uh, to vote for him. Uh, that's unusual. I mean, generally, the um, unions are solid behind what whoever they get. Democratic candidate is, so you you see Trump showing up on the on the lines. Although he went to a non-union uh, workshop, which I don't think is going to help him with these union workers. Um, Joe Biden uh, jumped onto the uh, strike lines and you know was there trying to show solidarity. It, it goes to show that you know there's a shift in the basic demographics of uh, voter uh, patterns. Uh, a lot of people have become completely disillusioned with both parties. Uh, and they're unfortunately, uh, they go towards whoever promises them the rosiest future, regardless of whether it can be delivered and things like this. So, yeah, there are um, economic and political considerations are always coming together. 
And uh, you can see that quite clearly uh, as uh, these kind of voter demographics move uh, not towards anything rational, but uh, towards any glimmer of hope that they can better their circumstances now. They're not looking at the future. Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Ina Tangen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Dr. Zhou Mi, senior research fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.